friends, thank you once again for listening to our program, Ephatha, Disciple Talks. For most people who believe in the Christ, Yahshua as God's Son and Savior of mankind, they believe that today's form of Christianity is the religion that he started and promoted. However, if the Christ is here today, he definitely cannot identify with the basic precepts of today's Christianity. After all, Christianity is a hybrid byproduct, the result of the mixture of Paul's judgmental gospel with a non-judgmental gospel of love by the Savior. Case in point, the Savior forbids his followers to ever judge anyone, either they are of the same faith or not. He simply does not want to see a sinner trying to correct a fellow sinner. In fact, he makes fun at those people by referring to them in his parable as the blind who leads another blind. That can be read in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 until 42. That is the case with Christianity. If Christianity is not the religion or the movement of the Savior, then what is? We will answer this and many more important topics when we return. Are you ready for the truth? For over 2,000 years, the message of the Christ, Yeshua, has been twisted, altered, and tailored to fit the different messengers from different time frames. That will stop today. Here's your disciple friend. He'll meticulously deliver to you the Lord's evangelical truth. Welcome back to our study on the religion of those who follow the Savior, His disciples. But first, let us understand the meaning of the word religion. Here's what we found, a good definition from the website religioustolerance.org. And I read, The English word religion is derived from the Middle English religion, which came from the Old French religion. It may have been originally derived from the Latin word religo, which means good faith, ritual, and other similar meanings. Or it may have come from the Latin religare, which means to tie fast or bind together. End of reading. The word religion may originally come from the Latin word religo, which means good faith or ritual, or from another Latin word religare, which means to tie fast or bind together. And on this definition or understanding or meaning of the word religion, we will base our study. In evangelical views, how does this meaning of the word religion, which is to tie fast or bind together, compare with the teaching of the Savior? What should be the ultimate goal of all people that is only possible with the Christ? Let us read what is recorded in John in chapter 17 in verses 20 until 23. And the Lord said this, I do not pray for this alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, 
and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. When the Lord prayed at the garden prior to his arrest, he prayed that those who believe in him may be one with him and God. This sacred union of God and his son is where all should strive to be found, bound together or tied fast. This is the good faith. This is the religion that one should strive to possess and rightfully so. After all, what else could be greater than being one with God and His Son in the sacred union? Now, how can anyone attain this state of being one with God and His Son in the sacred union? Who is the only one who can enjoin people to be made part of that union? In John 14, the verse is 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to God, the only way to the Father is through His Son, the Savior Yahshua of Nazareth. That is evangelical truth. Now how can we go through the way? What awaits those who go through Him? The answer is within the statement of the Savior. When He said He is the way and He is the truth and He is the life, what does He mean by that? He simply meant that one needs to possess or understand His truth so that He can be in the way that could lead Him to receiving His life. And His life is everlasting life. That is the life that one can possess as he abides in the sacred union with God and His Son. Now going back to our study, how can we tread or walk the path or way or religion that is the Lord Yahshua the Christ? First, let us understand that the way, the Christ Yahshua, is God's love unto mankind. And many verses can attest to that evangelical fact, particularly that which is written in John 3.16 and also in 1 John 4 verses 9 until 10, among the many other verses. Now, how can we be in the way? By being in Him. How can we be in Christ. Let us read what he said in John 15, the verses are 9 until 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now let's take a very focused analysis on the words of the Christ. For therein lies the secret on how we can be in Him and be in the way towards God, be in the way towards life. By the way, the most direct or straightforward meaning of the word abide is the word dwell. When we abide in the love of Christ, we are in Him. We are in the way. Just like how He abides in God's love and is in the Father. That's it. There's no other way. Unlike what most 
cults taught their congregants that theirs is the way unto God. That apparently you have to be part of their organization or that you have to be perfect in certain ways. On top of a lie that church membership to their particular church or organization is key to one's salvation, even some of them teach that one's salvation is also dependent on his or her performance of his church duties and other responsibilities. That cultist mindset go against the simple teaching of the Savior to abide in his love in order to be received in the sacred union. In sim simpler terms, the Savior wants us to live his love in order for us to live his life. You just cannot live the life of the Christ if you don't want to live his love first. Now, why are we sure that to abide in the love of the Savior is to dwell or to be in Him? Let me read the statement of the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. As taught by the Apostle John, one who abides in love abides in God. And vice versa, God is in Him. But everyone loves. Is it already enough that we love? If so, if that is the case, then God is already in all. And everyone is already in the sacred union. But is that logical? Is that evangelical? Is that what is taught by the Savior? While it is true that God's presence is evident in all of His creations, however, to be one in the sacred union, that union with God and His Son is another thing. Unfortunately, the simple fact that all experience the feeling of love is not enough to be received in that sacred union. And why not? Well, we have to understand the wisdom in John's statement that there is a need to abide or dwell in the love of the Savior. Because only then do we get to abide or dwell in God wherein He reciprocates by being in us also. And so, even in this world, based on what we have already studied so far, one can already begin to experience being part of the sacred union. Now, as we have stated in our introduction, Christianity is not the movement of the Savior. You might ask, how could Christianity not be the movement of the Lord when they also teach about the love of God through His Son? Well, it is because the love that they teach and practice is different from the love of the Savior. How so? Let us make this the focus of our, the subtopic of our study. How does the love of the Savior differ from that of Christianity and its precepts and teachings? 
I will read to you the statement of Christ in John 8.15. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. This is the moment in the earthly ministry of the Savior when they brought unto him the woman who was caught in the act of committing adultery. The Pharisees obviously tested the rigidity of the Lord with the commandments of old which requires that the woman be destroyed or killed by stoning. How is the love of the Savior made evident unto her whom everyone counts as a sinner, whom everyone counts as someone who deserves the punishment of death? The Savior refused to judge her. In fact, He refused to judge any and all other sinners. The Lord is fully aware of man's inherent weakness. And all the more did he show his fairness or righteousness unto him. What did he do to make man be acceptable unto him and unto God despite his weakness? He recalibrated the scales and he set a new standard. What is that new standard of Christ? His love. The same love that he wants for all of us to abide. What is that love? How can we benefit from the love of Christ, from His standard unto man? His standard is simple as He stated. He said, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That is recorded in Luke chapter 6 verse 37. Now, why do we say that Christianity differs from the love of the Savior? Although they preach the love of Christ, yet they are busy judging and condemning the sinners from within their ranks. They are busy correcting the sinners on how they should conduct their lives. How funny! So funny indeed that even the Savior made fun of them. Do you know what the Lord meant with this parable? Pointing to a blind who leads another blind? Read that in the succeeding verses in Luke chapter 6 verses 39 until 43. That's the humor of the Savior towards a sinner who tries to correct another sinner. He refers to him as the blind who tries to lead another blind. But his humor is outlived by his disgust on this mindset of people. He ends up calling them hypocrites. And do you know that the only people openly abhorred by the Savior are the hypocrites? And where can we find these people? Well, they're all, they're all over the world. But if you want to save some time, just go to any church and listen to their preaching. And what would you surely hear? The same hypocrisy so abhorred by the Lord. That is the true picture of Christianity. That's why we say Christianity could not be the movement that was initiated and promoted by the Savior. But why can they not see this paradox? This paradox, this thing about hypocrisy that is so alive in Christianity.
It is because ever since the first century until today, they have been trying to make sense of the Lord's non-judgmental teaching with the judgmental teaching of the Pharisee, Paul, the self-proclaimed apostle. They were trying. They are still trying to mix it up, to mix the two, the non-judgmental and the judgmental mindsets. But before you accuse me of trying to smear the name and credibility of Paul, please allow me to read his statements so no one can tell me that I am accusing Paul. I am telling a lie about Paul, whose teachings, unfortunately, found its way as equal to the gospel of the Lord in today's Christianity. I will read the very statement of Paul in Acts 23, the verse is 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. This admittance of Paul happened many years after he started preaching about the Christ when he was arrested in Jerusalem after he was summoned by the other apostles. What did Paul openly declare after he was arrested? Well, he did not say that he was, he was a Pharisee to point to his former belief. Instead, in his own words, he said, I am in the present tense. I am a Pharisee in reference to his present outlook at the time. And why can we believe that he truly remained a Pharisee even after his conversion? And even years after he was already preaching about the Christ, Yahshua. Listen to his letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in verses 1 until 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sex, sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In his letter, Paul judged a sinner and encouraged the other believers to deliver that person to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. What is the punishment that is for the destruction of one's flesh? Christianity would not tell you the truth about this. No church preacher would tell you the truth about this. Well, maybe they truly do not understand the real meaning of this phrase, destruction of the flesh. Anyhow, here's what it is. 
That destruction of the flesh refers to a physical punishment. Because flesh is another word for man's physical aspect. But what kind of physical punishment was Paul encouraging the other believers to do unto this man? A complete destruction of his physical self in such that even God, out of mercy from what this man will experience in their hands, may save him on the day of judgment. Paul was not encouraging here a simple caning or whipping, but a complete and total destruction which to the learned means stoning him to death. Would the Savior ever encourage this kind of harm to be done unto anyone, sinners included? No, he just can't. And he has shown this so many times. In fact, even on the cross, he cannot even hate, he cannot even judge the people who did it unto him. Now can this teaching, can this outlook of Paul ever be reconciled with the non-condemning, non-judgmental teachings of the Christ? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, this is now, this is what has become of Christianity ever since the very beginning. As a matter of historical facts, countless wars, killings, and atrocities have been committed in the name of Christianity as a religion. Now going back to our topic for today. If Christianity is not the religion or movement that can bring people to God and to Christ, the way that can bind people together in the sacred union, what is it? It is the love of the Savior. Only through His love can we dwell in God and God in us so to anyone who is curious and would like to know about my religion my answer is this my religion is the love of the savior not the religion of today called christianity now how can we openly practice this religion of love this religion in the way, in the Christ, Yeshua. Apostle James has given us a very good example of how this pure religion of the Savior can be practiced by anyone. In James 1.27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Friends, may we have served you with the truth of Yahshua that can take us to Him being the way. Please feel free to scrutinize our presentation and email us your questions and issues at john8v31 at gmail.com.
May you also find plenty of time to share this message to your friends and loved ones that they too may be received in the sacred union with God that can only be achieved through His Son, the Christ Yahshua of Nazareth. We ask God the Father for blessings and good health unto all who are reached by this program. Until next time. You've just been served the truth of the Savior. Please continue to listen to our show, Ephatha, and let your minds be open to the Lord's message. We also invite you to visit our website at www.spiritualhouse.info and be baptized with the living water of the Lord and King, Yeshua Christos.